Welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. If it's a Wednesday and it's 6 p.m., it's going to be the time to listen to the Katie Halper Show on WBAI 99.5 FM or WBAI.org on the internets. Gabe, Gabe Pacheco, my uh, co-pilot, is here. He's actually downstairs with our live guests. They're getting something to eat because we believe in keeping our guests nourished. And really? in, you're like, well, really? yeah, you don't believe it? You're not a guest. You're the you're the engineer a, in resident uh, well, expert engineer in residency. Um, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> I should have brought you up some food. I had yeah, a good. No, uh, that's all right. Yeah, guys, fans of the Katie Halper show. Oh, of course, I'm speaking to Reggie Johnson. Hello, Reggie. Hello there, Katie. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, another. Uh, we're in. Uh, I guess we're in the holiday season. Yes, I guess. it uh, is Kwanzaa, yeah. Hanukkah, and what's that other Kwanzaa, one? The uh, thing that no Hanukkah. one that they're fighting a war against. Oh, uh, the Christmas. 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 Yeah. Christmas. Christmas. More. Tr- I think it's more Christ in Spanish. Yeah. Um, the holiday that's supposed to represent the Palestinian Jew. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The hippie Palestinian Jew. Yeah. Right. Right. Who hangs out with prostitutes right, and right, probably a lot right, of gay right. people. And very likely brown skin. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And has fabulous dinner parties with a bunch of dudes. Hey, I'm not mad at him. No. Who is? Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, I like that you guys heard that dramatic um, flourish, that that waving of a piece of paper. That was Reggie's little touch. But we have a great show for you guys today. Really, really excited. First, we're going to be talking to journalist, MSNBC reporter Irin Carmone, who also has written the New York Times bestselling book, Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then live in studio, we will be talking to Gwen Carr, the activist and mother of Eric Gardner, who most of you probably remember, he was killed in the summer of 2014 by a police officer, an NYPD officer in Staten Island, and his murder and the lack of indictment sparked very justified national outrage and organizing around Black Lives Matter and against police brutality. In fact, tomorrow will mark the one-year anniversary of the decision of the grand jury to not indict the officer who killed Eric Garner, despite the fact that the murder was captured on video, and despite the fact that um, um, forensic scientists uh, declared that it was a homicide, the ones who worked for police Mm -hmm. and an an independent investigator also. But somehow that didn't lead to an indictment, and of course, as everyone knows, an indictment is not a conviction. Indictment is just saying there's enough evidence for us to even, you know, have a trial about this. And the only person that was put behind bars was Raymond Orta. Right. The one who... For the crime of filming it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I didn't know there was a crime on that. Apparently, if, yeah, if, if uh, you are capturing police brutality, the, when police brutality happens, the unofficial rule is that the person documenting it is the criminal. Evidently. Evidently, yeah. Anyway, but we are thrilled to be inviting our first guest on, Erin Carmon, as we said. Um who, again, is a uh, journalist at MSNBC, very good writer, funny, very funny lady, although uh, she's not allowed to be that funny right now as an MSNBC reporter. But uh, And as we said, she also wrote the book Notorious RBG, which is very, very funny, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and that is a New York Times bestseller. And she wrote that alongside with Shauna Kniz... I, I hope I'm saying this right. There's so many consonants in this. Last name, Shana Kniznik. I'll still respect Kniznik. you. Kniznik. Kniznik. 
Um, and it's a great book. And of course, uh, Notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, is the very badass, I think I can say badass on the radio, the very badass Supreme Court justice who basically every single person on the left has some form of crush on. And um, Arin writes a lot about, uh, about Planned Parenthood and abortion and lots of legal issues and women's issues. And so we're thrilled to ha be talking to her today um, in the aftermath of this terrible shooting uh, at, the plan at Planned Parenthood. Uh, Rin, are you there? Hey, Katie. Hi, Rin. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule of book uh, uh, sharing. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, you know, we're really excited that there's been uh, a warm reception to the book so far. I think people are really excited about RBG. They're really excited to celebrate her, learn more about the work that she devoted her life to. Uh, so that's been a total trip. Great. And what inspired you to write this book? Well, uh, as you know, I've, I've been covering women and reproductive rights and the law for a while. Um, my co-author, Shauna Knizhnik, came up with this incredible concept of the Notorious RPG, uh, a tribute to both Biggie and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, we are totally grateful to uh, the Notorious B.I.G.'s estate for giving us permission oh, uh, yeah. to, to name every chapter uh, in our book after a Biggie lyric, while at the same time telling the story of Justice Ginsburg's life, um, the work that she devoted her, her life to, uh, particularly on behalf of women's rights, but for, on behalf of all marginalized populations. And what is she like, um, RBG? Because you've met her, of course. She is. Very soft-spoken, um, but every word that comes out of her mouth is very deliberate, and she's really warm and gracious. Uh, we're both opera fans, so we, we've talked about that a lot. Um, but every time you think she's done talking, it turns out that she is just taking a thoughtful pause. Nice. I like it. Well, she can. that's good, because that justifies why Clarence Thomas never talks, I he's guess. He's still thinking yeah, he's still about thinking. what he wants to say. Right, but she fills it the space, and it's not empty space. I mean, she's saying very intelligent things, of course, but... Um, can you tell us about this, uh, the reporting you've done lately on this terrible shooting that happened at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Colorado Springs, Colorado on Friday, in which uh, three people were killed and nine were injured? You've written two articles about it recently, and the more recent one, which you wrote, I believe, yesterday, uh, was entitled, Colorado Shooter Praise Murderers of Abortion Providers. Can you tell us a little bit about the reporting you've been doing, what you found out, and how, and about the process of, of finding this stuff out? Sure. Well, I mean, uh, the moment that people saw that there was indeed a shooting inside of Planned Parenthood, uh, the fear that many pro-choice people had is that Planned Parenthood was being specifically targeted and that it was perhaps in some way related to uh, opposition to abortion or videos uh, that had been secretly recorded videos that were targeting Planned Parenthood out of opposition to the fact that they perform safe and legal abortions. Um, so what we've since learned about this gunman, uh, much of it reported by my colleagues at NBC News and also by uh, the New York Times, which has done really good reporting on this, is that this man, in fact, did talk a lot about how he was opposed to abortion. He told investigators no more baby parts and um, had in the past uh, praised a group called Army of God, which is a sort of loosely connected network of people who support the murder of abortion providers. And uh, so the story that I did was talking to both groups that 
a group that endorses violence, the Army of God. I talked to the guy who runs their website, who is a, a supporter of murders of abortion providers. He's called Scott Roeder, who killed Dr. George Tiller, a friend. And uh, also called groups that officially repudiate violence, although many of them have been tied to it in the past. And just said, you know, how do you feel about the fact that if you listen to uh, Planned Parenthood and other groups that support abortion rights, uh, talk about this shooting, they really link it to anti-abortion, anti-choice rhetoric. And, uh, uh, you know, they, it was interesting to have these conversations with them because they said, you know, it's never okay to kill anyone. But then, you know, they also said that abortion causes mass shootings because once you treat human life like it isn't precious, all bets are off. And, uh, you know, later some lawmakers even went even further. They said, uh, there was one in particular, a Republican lawmaker in Colorado, who said Planned Parenthood is the real culprit in this shooting because they instigated the violence by providing abortions. Wow. That's pro-life for you, right? Quote-unquote pro-life? Yeah, I think it definitely stretches the definition. Right. Um, what's interesting is that this is kind of a huge subject that we don't have time to get into fully, but we'll, get, we'll have you back. But what I find fascinating about people who can call themselves pro-life is when they believe in the exception for rape and incest. And, of course, I'm all for that because I believe in abortion always. You don't need an exception. I think it's, you know, it's legally protected, right? But what's always interesting to me is that something inherent in there, not that I'm supporting the people who don't believe in the exception, but something inherent in the exception is an acknowledgement that this isn't a human life the way that other human lives are, right? Because there are no things that we allow real human lives to be murdered over. Right. People's feelings about abortion are often really inconsistent. I mean, if you, you know, you could make the argument that these people who are, uh, you know, let me put it this way. When I talked to the guy from Army of God, he said to me, uh, these groups always, like Operation Rescue, which are very extreme anti-abortion groups, which officially repudiate violence, he said, well, they're hypocrites because... Right. Uh, if they really think that it's a baby's life, then why are you not going to stop it? And he's compared it to ISIS. We don't think that it's bad to kill members of ISIS if it means it will prevent a terrorist attack, and that's how they see abortion. But obviously not every single person who opposes abortion is going out and shooting abortion providers, thank God. Uh, so, so the question is really, like, well, what, what is this really about? What is your feeling really motivated by? And right. Is it really complicated because you think that, you know, if you think a rape exception is okay, does that have to do with your feelings about sex? Exactly, right, exactly. Um, and, uh, of course, to me, the, the irony is that, you know, I, I again, obviously I'm, pro, I'm pro-choice, but I, have, I respect people who are, call themselves pro-life, who oppose abortion, and oppose the death penalty. At least there's a consistency there. What I can't kind of get on board with or even begin to refer to as pro-life, even as a, as a courtesy, are the people who are for the death penalty, for slashing funding and spending and programs, anything that even remotely resembles, you know, caring about people once they're born born. Right, as right. opposed to their well, zygote they form. Say, I think what they say is that it has to do, uh, it has to do with, their feelings of innocence 
Right, and right. who's innocent and who's guilty. Right. But the sanctity of life doesn't depend on that, right? Isn't the sanctity of life inviolable? I mean, I know I'm asking you this like you're a theologian. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not, it's, not it doesn't way. happen to be the belief that I hold. But I think you right. really do, you do see a focus on, you know, who's innocent and who's guilty and God's judgment in a lot of these uh, conversations where they right. say the babies are innocent, but the doctors are murderers, and so right. they deserve the death penalty. I mean, Troy Newman, who Ted Cruz just accepted, whose endorsement Ted Cruz just accepted, uh, wrote in his book that when this is properly prosecuted by the government, that the government should enact the death penalty and that the government is now has blood guilt for abdicating its, its uh, death penalty uh, of abortion providers. Right. So, you know, certainly they in their minds have organized it such that some murder is okay. Erin, can we go on tour um, like a, a Jewish uh, speaker's tour where we, we tell people about Jesus? As one of them, since he's a member of our tribe, I feel like as a secular Jew, I get a lot about Jesus. Maybe it's because of the whole member of the tribe proximity thing. But I really I I don't follow him, but I feel like I get him in a way that lots of his followers don't. Um, Well, he has mommy issues. Yeah, he Um, does. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I. I, I, I definitely hear a lot of different versions out there about who he is and right. what he stood for, and they don't all add up. Right. I'm, I'm, I like the, I like the um, Romero liberation theology interpretation. But anything else that you want our listeners to know about what you've been uncovering and, and what, what is your response when people say, oh, we don't know what his motives were. He was just mentally ill. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was really struck by the fact that he has a history of reported violence against women. Mm. Um, You know, my colleagues at NBC News interviewed his ex-wife, and she said very disturbing things about uh, the way that he treated her, banging her head against the concrete. Uh, He was accused of raping basically a stranger who he stalked, who showed up at her door and raped her at knife point, according to this woman's really horrifying story, although he was never prosecuted for it. Um, So I just think it's really interesting that somebody who had a pattern of violence against women then went and chose Planned Parenthood to shoot a bunch of people. Um, It it strikes me that a lot of mass shooters have a history of domestic violence, whether they target Planned Parenthood or not. It's just something to think about. Why is that the case? And, of course, what about he's been reported to have said no more body parts? Can you explain what that's a reference to? Oh, no more baby parts. Baby parts, yeah. sorry, baby parts. It's yeah. a, a reference to uh, these secretly recorded videos uh, which claimed that Planned Parenthood is trafficking in uh, in the body parts of fetuses, or as they would call it, baby parts. Um, Planned Parenthood basically accepted reimbursements, small amounts, really like 60 to $100 in isolated locations around the country. And apparently the, the belief is that this is a big profit margin, although the numbers really don't add up. Uh, and this is fetal tissue that is used for medical research purposes, including, you know, by Ben Carson. I so, did not know that. He's used that in his surgery or in his he, in research he, that he's... In research that he's wow. done in the past, he compared, uh, you know, two fetal tissue slides. Oh my and he gosh! It. Yeah. So I mean, this has been a really basic part of medical research that that people who have abortions sometimes choose to donate their fetal tissue. Um, but Planned Parenthood now is being accused of trafficking in baby parts. Right. As opposed to just asking for compensation to cover the medical costs that are required to keep the the tissue viable for research. Correct. Yes. 
Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, the Republicans uh, on the committee that are or on, on one of the many committees in the House that uh, have been investigating Planned Parenthood, you know, Jason Chaffetz, the chair of the oh, committee, came him. out and said, I him. don't think that they broke any laws. Wow. Um, so and they haven't been charged with any crimes. And um, there have been eight investigations that have played with them. Eight. And Chaffetz, of course, you guys remember, listeners will remember, he is the um, form. He's half. He's Mormon, correct? He converted to Mormonism. He's he's a Utah senator, um, congressman. Congress. Congressman. Congressman, yeah. Utah senator. I born. Believe his father was Jewish. Half Jewish, half Christian scientist. And as Gabe, who just walked into the studio, hi Gabe. As Gabe once said brilliantly, that makes him a hypochondriac who then can't take <laughs> medication, which is a very awkward <laughs> position to be in. Which may explain why he goes after Planned Parenthood so hard. Now, Reggie's doing the thing that Gabe does. Iran, I just want you to know what's happening right now. We have to name this. There's a thing where, you know, Gabe is my, my right-hand man, and often the right-hand man is, is one of the things he does And when you have a radio show is he laughs, right? Uh, sometimes, even when it's not funny, to try be your hype man. <laughs> what Gabe does is the opposite, and Reggie's now doing it too. When they actually genuinely are laughing, they cover it up. They cover oh, up no. the microphone. It, it's so it's, bizarre. It's, I didn't want to spoil the flow of things. Of our very serious discourse it. about yeah. what it's like being a half Jewish, half Christian serious, scientist. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I'm laughing more of the audacity of it. Right. Rather than, the, well, you know. And he, of course, was the one who thought he busted um, Cecile uh, Richardson when he found the number of, what was it, uh, the number of mammograms had gone down, oh. and Cecile Richardson was kind of like, well, we don't uh. do mammograms because that requires a different facility. We do breast exams. Because whenever Republicans even try to talk about female anatomy, it's just a big fail. Yeah, <sighs> I think it was a chart that had no y-axis and didn't make any sense, right. and he thought that it was sort of the, he thought it was the kicker. Right. The, 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 the last nail in the coffin. Also, he pretended he'd made it himself by entering in data. And not only was he lying about the source and pretending he had made it, but it was from somewhere else and incorrect. So, anyway. Well, Erin, uh, where can people find you online? Where can people find your book, Notorious um, RBG? And also, where can people find you talking about your book or reading from your book? Well, um, Notorious RBG is available anywhere you want to buy books. Uh, today's the last day. If you want to order it from Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn, we will personally sign it and make it out for you for a holiday present. Do it, guys. Uh, and the best place to follow my work is on Twitter. It's I-R-I-N. You beat the masses, the other Arin people uh, tweeting. You beat them. Oh, no, the... no, no. I took it. You took it. Oh, okay, it's, nice. It's colonizing it. Oh, good, good. We believe in twi co Twitter colonialism is the only kind of colonialism we approve of. Um, thank you so much, and we would love to have you back and talk more in depth about your writing, your book, about um, RBG, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Erin. Have a good night. And that was Erin Carmone talking to us about her book, Notorious RBG, and her investigation into the Colorado shooting. And, of course, you were listening to the Katie Halper Show. We are so excited to bring in our next guest, who's live in studio sitting next to me as I speak to you, Gwen Carr activist and the mother of the late Eric Garner, uh, an incredibly inspiring woman. First, we're going to take a very short musical break um, and listen to a song, very relevant song, by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band called American Skin. And remember, you can listen to us every Wednesday at 6 p.m. You can also find us on iTunes, find us on Tumblr. It's the Katie Halper Show.
Listening to the Katie Halper Show, you can listen to us every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on WBAI, WBAI.org, 99.5 FM. And that, of course, was American Skin, parentheses 41 Shots, a song by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, which was written by about Amadou Diallo, who was shot, uh, police shot him to death when he was um, confronted outside of his own building and uh, reached to grab what was his wallet to show his ID. He was an immigrant from Africa. He reached in to grab his ID, and they fired 41 shots at him and killed him. And uh, that was, I think, the first... I grew up in Manhattan, and that was, I think, the first um, anti-police brutality protest I attended, and sadly, the first of... I can't even remember how many, because it's sadly not an isolated incident. That was like 18 years ago, right? Some, yeah. I can't I, believe it's that long. I know. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And I was in middle school when uh, the Rodney King uh, beating happened. And that, again, was caught on film and somehow didn't, uh, again, film is not considered evidence when when police are the ones who were were doing it. But we are so happy to have with us here a woman who's done so much to help fight against police brutality and for accountability, Gwen Carr, who's an activist and the mother of the late Eric Garner. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Katie. Thank you for having me, and I'm so happy to be here tonight. Well, thank you. We're, we're, we consider ourselves extremely lucky that you came onto the show and uh, came all the way from Staten Island, which is a drive, we know. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, Gabe, welcome. Hi. So, thank you for coming back. Thank you. It's great to be here. And in the last year and a half, uh, Gwen Carr, who is the matriarch, can I call you a matriarch? Okay. They call, <laughs> yeah, they call me that They sometimes. call you, right? Um, <laughs> matriarch of a large family in Staten Island and South Brooklyn, uh, has become known um, most most uh, visibly as the mother of Eric Garner, the man the New York police murdered on July 17, 2014. And Mr. Garner's death by a policeman's chokehold, which was caught on video, horrified people everywhere and added to the mounting movement to end police brutality. And um, you really um, uh, channeled your grief and became a force in that movement and a model of, of courage to those who've had the privilege of hearing you speak and of meeting you. Um, and I actually had the pleasure of hearing you uh, very give a very gracious acceptance speech at a recent award ceremony that my, coincidentally, my best friend and my uncle also received awards at. Mm -hmm. And um, you were given the award for your organizing. And you mentioned that your son had gone to college and that at the time of his death, he was killed for selling loose cigarettes, which, uh -huh. was used, which he was doing to make ends meet. And your point was really about how hard it was to make it in the present day economy. But... When you were saying that and kind of sharing that anecdote, I realized from that detail about his going to college that there was so little that has been said about your son's life, right? We know That's so true. much about his death. That's so um, true. And so what can you tell us about his life that, that we don't, you know, that people wouldn't otherwise know? Well, Eric, he was raised right here in Brooklyn. He, his brother and his sister, um, they were, I think, were pretty happy. They, you know, they just did what other children did, and he really had a special connection with the Christmas holiday. Uh, I guess that's why, you know, like last Christmas, I was so, you know, so moved because I know how he loved Christmas as a child, and even when he grew up, that remained with him. He would play Santa Claus for his children and then his grandchildren, and he just loved it all. And that may have had something to do with me because at Christmas time, I would go all out for the children. I would, you know, ask them what they wanted and I'd try to accommodate. And particularly, I remember one Christmas, I guess Eric and his brother, they're a year apart. So I guess they were about six and seven or seven and eight, something like that. And they had asked for a big will. Back then, the big will was the big thing. What's a big will? I a don't big, even... uh, yeah, I know you probably Sorry. wouldn't know what a big will is. A big will was, it was like a scooter. It had like two back wheels and one big wheel in the front. Oh, they're awesome. Uh-huh. And the kids loved those. At that time, that was their bike, you know. And when they asked me for one of them for as one of their Christmas presents, I decided to, I says, well, I'm going to go and get them one of the top of the line big wheels, which was called the Flint Cycle. It was a big wheel, but it had all the characteristics of the Flintstone vehicle. Oh, yeah. wow. Did you put your feet through it, too? Uh, uh, yeah, well, you no, you put your foot on the pedals, but everything oh, okay, around okay. it, the handlebars looked at like wood. The, real, the wheels looked like rocks. So it looked just like the Flintstone cycle, the Flint cycle, and that was the name of it, the Flint cycle. Oh, the Flint cycle. So anyway, I said I just want to take a picture of how they're gonna look, you know, when they get up on Christmas morning. 
So they did. They got up about 6 o'clock that morning. They went in the living room to see their gifts. And they looked at each other. Their, their eyes lit up. And Eric says to his younger brother, oh, wow. Oh, you know, they said these little say, oh, baby, look what we have. And he says to Emery, the younger one, he says, now I know we are rich. And Emery replied to him, I knew that all the time, stupid. <laughs> so, funny. How old were they when this happened? They were like six and seven. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah, so, and um, so, you know, I always, I laugh about the things they would say to each other. And Christmas morning, they'd be want, wanting to know what time are the cousins coming over. Uh, Ma, you finished cooking yet? Because they're going to be here soon. It was just a joyous time when myself and the children were coming up. And even one year, we made them a money tree. We, we, we got a Christmas tree, and we put actual money oh my gosh. on the Christmas tree. Went to the bank and got brand new bills and put all the bills all over the Christmas tree for them. They thought, and then their friends, but I had it like when their friends came, it was like just on display so they can look. They went and told everybody we had a money tree. That's so funny. <laughs> so if they thought they were rich before, now they probably thought they were billionaires, yeah, right? Yeah. But it was only like ones and fives right. on the tree. And this was in Brooklyn? where This was in Brooklyn. That's when I had I had moved up to Troy Avenue because I, I once lived in Gowanus Projects, which is about three blocks away from here. From where we're doing this interview, mm -hmm. right? And um, when they got a little older, I was able to buy a house, and I went uptown uh, on Troy Avenue, and I bought a house up there. And they were so excited because everybody had their own room. Wow. Then, you know. But... um. They even told me, I know I used to yell a lot, you know, when they did the wrong things. But uh, as they got older and when they got grown, Eric came to me one day and says, Ma, you gave us a good life. Mm. I said, she said, you was really good to us. Because see, Eric and my children, they lost their father at a young oh, age. Their father had high blood pressure. Mm. And he died at the age of 33. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, so how old were your kids when he died? My kids was five, four, and four months. Wow. Yes, when he passed. And that was something new for me because I had never experienced anything like that. I was only like 27 years old. And, you know, I, I was like really traumatized behind it. But then I just, you know, said my father and my mother, thanks God for them. They helped me through it all and my sisters and brothers too they all were there for me and helped you raise the three kids. yes uh-huh they were always over my mother's house every weekend they thought people thought they lived in coney island because that's <sighs> where my mother you know when they moved they moved to coney island right and even to now when i go to coney island and people see me and they'll say oh yeah i remember when you all was living here in coney island i said we never lived in coney island <laughs> And Eric was, um, when he was killed, he had just broken up a fight. Is yes, that correct? So can you so can you tell us about that, what happened? Again, telling us the things that people wouldn't know about him and his personality um, and how you found out about this? Yeah, well, I was actually, well, actually that morning when I got up, I hadn't heard from Eric in about two days. And, you know, we always talk at least every other day. Mm -hmm. So that morning, I, you know, I said, well, let me call him because his phone kept going to voicemail. So when I called, he answered, 
And I said, well, Eric, uh, why couldn't I get in touch with you on the past days? And he reminded me, he said, well, Ma, remember I told you that Pinky and I, Pinky is his wife, were going to her family's reunion down in Baltimore. And I says, oh, I totally forgot, you know. So he says, oh, yeah. And I says, do you know? And he said, and we decided to cut our phones off for those two days that we were there. But I knew you knew that's where I was. I said, I did, but I forgot. So he says, and um, I says, and you know, Saturday is our reunion at Prospect Park. And he says, yeah, I didn't forget. He said, what do you want me to bring? And I said, just bring water and soda. We have the rest. He says, okay, Ma. So we chit-chat for a little while. And I, so he says, okay, Ma, see you later. I said, okay, Eric, love you. He said, love you, Ma. That's the way me and my children always end our conversations. Then I went on to work about 1.30 that afternoon. And I work for New York City Transit. So... We op- I operate the train, so when we're on the train, we're not allowed to have our phones on. Oh, you were a train operator. Yeah, I train knew you operator. Trans- I didn't realize yes. why. Okay. And so my phone was off, so I operate from Coney Island, you know, from Coney Island to Astoria, Queens. So when I got to Astoria, Queens, usually I'll get off the train. I have like a 35-minute break, so I'll sit on the platform because it's summertime, so I'll sit on the platform, and I'll see who called me or I'll make a few phone calls till it's time for me to get back on the train. Well, this day, I turn the phone on, and as I turn the phone on, the phone is just ringing, ringing, ringing. So when I answered it, one girl told me oh I heard something happened to Eric but she and then another guy called when I answered the next phone call he was telling me the same thing but neither one of them had first-hand information they just heard from someone calling them that something happened to Eric well with that that made me anxious and I says well I'm going first I said well let me just go and tell them I have to go home right now but I'm all the way in Queens. So I says, well, I'll be close if I get back to Coney Island. I'll tell my husband to pick me up, which I did. He did, and he had already known what happened, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to ask him, did you call anybody? Do you know, is Eric, uh, what happened with him and the police? He said, no, but I just know he's at the hospital, and when we get there, we'll find out what happened. He was, you know, trying to avoid me of trying to get me home. But I guess I badgered him so much. You didn't call in. Well, let's call Larry. Let's call. I want to know what's going on. So finally, he had to just break down and tell me. And when he did, I think I just almost lost my mind. It was like a blackout spell because he was telling me I was trying to get out the door. He had to put the child lock on the door to keep me from getting out the car. He, but he made sure he had me in my seatbelt before he told me wow. anything, you know. And then he said, when I couldn't get out my seatbelt, he said I was kicking the windshield. And, you know, he said it, he just wanted to get me home so that, you know, he could try to calm me down. But and you don't remember? A, I don't. I remember some, but some I don't. Huh. But I know when I got home, I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to say I wanted to go to the hospital. They wouldn't let me go to the hospital. They kept me away from the hospital. Your family? Yeah, or? my family. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was my family who, 
who kept me away. You don't know, we'll let you go tomorrow. You can't go today. No, you know, so they, but I was just a mess. I was a total mess, you know. And even the news reporters came around. They want to talk to us. I told them I'm not talking to nobody. I don't want to talk to anybody. But then my brother-in-law, he convinced me. He said, well, let's just talk to one news reporter and tell them we want the story told the way we, we tell it. So I said, okay, do what you want to do. So we happened to talk to the Daily News, which was the right one to talk to because they were the ones who had the exclusive on the video. Right. And that kind of perked me when, you know, they told me, you no, know, first they asked us questions, you know, and the whole family was there. And I wasn't doing too much talking. But then they says, well, we want to let y'all know that we have an exclusive. We have a video of what happened to your son. And it's going to be made public tomorrow at 5 a.m. He says, it's going to be in the newspaper first at 5 a.m. And at 7 a.m., it's going to be on TV. And just like he said, 5 a.m., my brother-in-law came. He lives in the same, in the same apartment uh, building that I do. He came downstairs with the newspaper. And when I seen that, that just, I just flipped when I seen that newspaper. Then when they start showing the video, I just could not believe what I was seeing. And my husband said, turn it off, turn it off. I've never seen the video in its entirety because I can't. And then even if someone comes around and start talking about, you know, being graphic and talking about it, my husband said, no, do not talk about that in front of her. She said she's going to get real excited. Do not talk about it. So as time went on, I was dealing with it a little bit, a little bit better. First, I was just in the bed. I thought I was going to stay there forever. But with some positive people that came into my life, like the National Action Network, the Justice Committee, and my family. It was just awesome. And how much was it, um, how much did your children and grandchildren help you kind of get out of bed, literally and figuratively? Well, first, I was, I would talk, they would talk to me and say, oh, well, Grandma, what's wrong? Come, you know, come on, come in here, talk to us and whatnot. And I says, I'm going to talk to you. I said, but Grandma just don't feel like it right now. But then I have a few people in my family, they, you know, they're real jokesters and whatnot, and they try to, you know, like cheer me up. And, you know, it worked to a certain extent. But then, you know, what really got me when I start thinking about, well, my son is gone now. If I don't do something, then I can't expect anybody else to do anything. So I'm going to get out there and I'm going to keep his name alive. If it's only me, I'm going to keep his name alive. And when I found out about how many others that were out there, I says, well, I'm going to make a promise to be the voice of my son and the voice of the voiceless and the nameless. So I'm going to try to keep that promise by speaking out, walking, rallying, or doing whatever it takes, you know, until my voice is heard, until we get justice 
Because you were retired, correct? Yes. When did yes. you retire? Uh, in February. So most people, when they retire, they just sit back. But you're. Mm-hmm. it seems like you're more active than ever now. Oh, yeah. It seems that way. I don't get any too much rest. When even, I do, I have to take it, you know, just say, well, right. I'm not doing anything today. <laughs> and even today, you, you visited us, and mm-hmm. your husband is... Yeah, he's in the hospital. So yeah. you're just... Yeah, I had. To, I went to see about him first and then I came here yes and so what is it that you when you say you want justice um, what is justice for you well justice for me is to hold everyone accountable who was involved in my son's death that day because it was a senseless killing it did not have to happen and when they did this to my son they went deep on me they stole my joy They killed my spirit and ripped my heart out. So I just want to see everyone stand accountable for what they did to him that day. Because if there's a crime, there should be accountability. Whether you wear blue jeans, a blue suit, or a blue uniform. And Daniel Pantaleo, who is the officer who put him, who put your son in the chokehold that killed him, um, he had, had three suits against him, filed against him. Yes. by different black uh, people yes. who had been then cleared of crimes. So yes. when people talk about a bad apple here, a bad apple there, it's one thing when people say, no, it's systemic, it's systematic, which it is, and they say because it happens all over. It's not just that. It's that it is the higher-ups, right, that mm-hmm. decide not to do anything about exactly. these guys, including um, Laquan McDonald's killer. He oh, also had yes. had complaints filed against him. Mm-hmm. So what what can be done to stop this? Well, you know... Just like if you got to stop things at the head. Because if the police, or not only the police, anybody knows that they're going to get away with what they do, what's to stop them from continuing? You know, so I think that if their superiors would get up out of their comfort zone and see that these police are held accountable for their actions and do what needs to be done. I mean, all police are not bad, but the ones that are, they make a bad name for the rest. Right, and put the other ones at risk, too. Yes, and they do, because they could put their partners at risk and because they have this blue wall of silence and you don't want to tell on your partner. And, I mean, come on now, this is not right. When the two officers were killed, were murdered, mm-hmm. you and your family, exp- you attended the funerals. No, not the funeral, no, not the fun- but we the, went to the memorial. The memorial, sorry. Yes. You attended the memorials. You reached mm-hmm. out to their families, to yes. their loved ones. Mm-hmm. You expressed your condolences. Mm-hmm. You did. You were so much more sympathetic to them than the police, than yes. so many police officers here who blamed your son for his own death. Yes. And did you expect an indictment? Oh, I definitely did. In fact, tomorrow is the anniversary that they didn't indict. I mean, my son's death was caught on video, full coverage, and there was no indictment. You mean the grand jury didn't see any probable cause? Where is the justice in that? Nobody asked them to try the case just to look for probable cause. That's what a grand jury does. Right. But they didn't indict Pandaleo. The other five police officers had got amnesty. 
and the EMT they the got e fired at least yeah. right or something happened to them no I don't, they, they are on administrative duty oh, very wow it, it, it's very strange that when I took my husband to the hospital the other day I seen one she didn't know who I was but she's oh on administrative gosh. duty and the thing you know she was talking to me like she didn't um I mean I know she didn't know but she says oh I'm here I'm on administrative duty I can't make any overtime oh and it's not my fault I wish I could speak out now this is what she said and she had no idea that she you were the no woman idea, whose son she was sitting because she was wheeling neck, my husband into the back to get a cat scan so she didn't she had no idea it was me see when people say I it's always it's not when people defend the police mm -hmm. And they pretend that they're doing it because they believe in law and order. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always amazed by how they out themselves. Because if you want to pretend that they di didn't know what they were doing to your son until he, you know, then he said 11 times. Yes, I can't 11 breathe. Times. 11 times he said it. Why then? Let's just give them for arguments, um, mm -hmm. argument's sake. Let's say that, yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. Why do you then leave him on the ground and not administer CPR? That's right. And from what I understand, that the EMS, or what is it? EMT. EMT. They, when they got on the scene, Pandaleo waved them off. This is what I was hearing, that he waved them off. So I would like to see him and those other officers stand accountable for their gross misconduct. And why do you think they weren't indicted? Because of the system. We have a very unbalanced system here. I mean, if the tables was turned, do you think we would have went through all this if this was Pandaleo's family being choked to death? It would be a completely different ball game. But we need a level playing field. And you helped, uh, Pat, you helped change policy, right? Uh, Can you talk about that with Governor Cuomo? And oh, yes, me and... Um, the other New York mothers who have had sons killed uh, senselessly, not armed, right. not committing any crime, we were on a regular up in Albany to see the governor, to ask him if he would sign an executive order for a special prosecutor. And he was very, very nice and considerate. He listened to all of our stories. We went up there about seven or eight times, and then he said, well, at the end of session, I will give you what you want. He says, but what you want may not be enough. Maybe you want something, maybe you're not asking for enough. So we said, well, right now, we want an executive order for a special prosecutor because at least we will have something. Right. We know it's not legislation. We know it's not permanent, but it is a Band-Aid until we can get legislation, and which we hope to get in the next year. And we actually asked him, we asked him a bunch of questions before we let him sign it. We asked him, if you didn't get legisl legislation next year, would you re-sign it? He told us yes. And then we made him broaden the view of, and not only unarmed killings, will it go into the hands of the attorney general? But if it's someone who may have had have a weapon, but it's not a threat right. to the police officers. Right. 
and so they had something on them, but they weren't reaching right. for it. Or yeah, anything. they weren't yeah. reaching for them. It happened to be on them when they were going to get arrested, right. or you know, or they was you know stopped. So he he did do that. He kind of like accommodated us and what we were asking for. And, you know, I was so pleased to get at least that little piece because, you know, that's a, that's a positive reform. Right. Did it make you, you know? think of, did you think of what your son would have thought about it? Oh, yes. I, I'm doing this for my son and for, and for others. I'm definitely doing this because I guess if this hadn't happened to him, you know, I wasn't an activist all the time. But after this happened to my son, it has brought my awareness of how cruel this world is, how cruel people are to people of color. And I just think that we have a lot of work to do. We have to get out here and we have to make some noise, you know. Right. Well, thank you so much. And if there are there any events coming up or any websites people can visit or? Um, they can go on the Garner Way. The Garner Way, G-A-R-N-E-R Way, uh -huh. the, uh, Yeah, the Garner Way Foundation at Yahoo. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or GarnerWay GarnerWayFoundation.com. Garnerway. If they Google GarnerWay, we'll <laughs> yeah, find yeah, it. Yeah, we'll yeah, link to it on the site. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Uh -huh. This was yeah, amazing. Yes, right. Right. Okay. Thank you You're so much. And we'll see you next week. And again, thank you so much to Gwen Carr for being here and talking to us. Thank you, Gabe Pacheco. Reggie Johnson, we'll see you next week at 6 p.m. Have a good week.